Hi everyone, welcome to the All Inclusive podcast, where each week I chat with industry experts and diversity, equity, inclusion executives from the world's leading global brands who share their knowledge, experience and actual takeaways to help inclusive employers create cultures of belonging where everyone can thrive. Today, I'm joined by Sandra Quince, CEO of Paradigm for Parity through Bank of America's Leader on Loan Programme. Welcome, Sandra. Oh, thank you, Natasha. It's such a pleasure to be here with you today. So um, I think the best thing to do is to kick off by telling our listeners a little bit about you and your personal journey to where you are today. Yeah, so a little bit about me. I am married. Um, We have one son who just graduated from high school. So my husband and I are about to enter in the phase of empty nesters, which I know is its its own thing. So, um, but we're we're quite excited for his next phase of life. Um, I am a graduate of Florida State University. um, And when I graduated from college, I needed a job. And so I came into the financial industry and I have been in the financial services industry ever since. Um, It is the first job that I've actually had. I never worked in high school. I worked a little bit in college. Um, but um, so I've been in this in, in this financial industries journey for a while. But what's really interesting about it is I've held many different roles within the banking industry, right? So I've been in financial centers, I've done operations, I did learning and leadership development um, for the organization. And then I transitioned into um, DE&I. So I have well over 15 years of HR and diversity, equity and inclusion experience. And most recently, before I became the CEO of Paradigm for Parity, I was a diversity and inclusion executive for the firm, helping to lead the global strategy, supporting the Global Diversity and Inclusion Council at Bank of America, which is led by the CEO, Brian Moynihan, and working very closely with our chief diversity officer, Cynthia Bowman, in driving um, our holistic strategy across um, our lines of businesses. The other thing that I did at the bank is I helped to um, really create an Asian strategy for the company as well as uh, led religious inclusion. I was also the DNI executive for HR. And uh, so wore many hats. I also was a part of the market team, uh, market HR partner for the state of Oklahoma, which I'm really proud of um, the work that we've been able to do here in the state of Oklahoma. Um, And so I guess people might be saying, okay, what does that have to do with Paradigm for Parity? (laughs) How did you get there? Uh, So that's quite a story in itself. Bank of America a few years ago established a leader on loan program And that was really to allow for executives to leverage their skills and capabilities and all that we have learned within our firm and take those skills and capability to help support community and organizations that we have um, had partnerships with. So whether that is nonprofits or whether that's universities or colleges um, um, that are local to where we we live, um, Bank of America has been a great support partner for those organizations. 
And um, Paradigm for Parity is no different. Bank of America was a partner of Paradigm for Parity because just like Paradigm for Parity, we saw um, the value in ensuring that we have gender parity at every level in our organizations. And it was just such a wonderful alignment for our company to align um, themselves with P4P. And our CEO signed the action pledge um, that Paradigm for Parity offered. And so when Paradigm for Parity moved into around their fourth year, they were really starting to make the transition to hire um, a full-time CEO. And one conversation led to another and um, the opportunity came to me as a part of the Leader on Loan program. And I'm ecstatic to say that I fulfilled my first year and I just signed on for another year. So that is how I became the CEO of Paradigm for Paradigm. It has been just such an amazing experience for me to really marry my passion, along with my, my core skills that I bring to this role, but also to be able to grow through this role as well. So it has certainly been both um, a learning experience, but also a great pleasure to help lead this organization into the next phase of its existence. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, Sandra, congratulations um, on getting an, another year um, and obviously being with Paradigm for Parity for, for that whole year already. Um, it, it must be so exciting to be able to look back on, on everything that you've achieved and know that actually there's still more work to be done and you get to be the person that can lead the charge in doing that. Um, so, yeah, kudos to you. Well done. Um, that actually leads me on to, to my like other question that I've got for you is a little bit more about kind of why why for you are you doing um, the work of diversity, equity, inclusion? Yeah, so that's a great question, Natasha. And um, I think every probably person that does this work asks themselves that question, like, you know, because you, you, you it, it is while it is good work, it is necessary work, it's not always easy. I mean, you're, you're a person that speaks truth to power. Um, sometimes you're the person that has to um, have a very differing of opinion around um, the direction of an organization. You also have to be the person to raise the difficult issues um, and challenges. And so for me, I feel this work is so critically important. I, I was raised um, and still have my grandmother in my life. I had my great grandmother in my life and of course my mom. And I was raised by these very three strong dynamic women who taught me that um, everyone deserves to be treated well, um, who taught me that, you know, I wasn't better than anyone, but I wasn't less than anyone. And that I really deserved every opportunity just like anyone else. And that I also needed to be mindful of, of the way I treated people. And that treatment of people was so critically important. And so that was instilled in me from the time that I was a little girl to, to now. And so part of me and the way I was raised is why I so dearly love this work. Um, the other part is um, over the last few years, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion has become such an important part of the way that businesses drive, support, and um, lead their business strategies. 
And for me, that was always important. In fact, I remember the first conversation that I had around Sandra, are you interested in going to work in the DNI space? And this was some years ago before DNI was really on the map. And I at the time said, why would I do that? Nobody's talking about DNI. What is that? And for me, it was so critically important that I added value to my company and that I was always on the side of ensuring that I was leading in the business strategic area or functions of our of our company. Um, but I am really grateful um, that at, at that time, my mentor and, and my future manager, Cynthia Bowman, really convinced me that this was a great opportunity um, and, and I did it because it has morphed over the years into becoming such a critical component to the way that we drive and deliver um, on our business uh, strategy, but also our people strategy. And, um, and I get the wonderful opportunity of being able to impact the way people work and the way that companies create their opportunities to help their employees thrive. And that is such a wonderful feeling. It's quite nice to hear that that you've still got connections with your grandmother and your great grandmother and and your mother. Um, I'm also very much the same. I can definitely relate to that. I've been fortunate enough to have a strong uh, women in my life. Um, my mum is she's got three sisters, and <laughs> she's she's one of she's got three sisters. And there's my grandmother as well. Is still still mm-hmm. luckily she's still with us, and they've all played like a definite. Um, impact and a role in my in my life and um they they do definitely kind of come with with a lot of wisdom with them um and it's great that you also were able to have mentors to help in your journey as well I'm just going to read off a few statistics here because I think it's quite important to, to talk about um women and and leadership and currently the global rate of of labor force participation for women is actually just under 47 percent um, and for men, it's actually 72. Um, and according to the McKenzie's Women in the Workplace uh, 2021 report, um, for every 100 men promoted to manager, only 86 women are promoted. I'm interested to hear from you. What do you think is holding women back from these leadership positions? Yeah, so that that's a that's 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 the magic question, right? <laughs> it's like how do we make progress in this area to ensure gender parity? So to me, there are a a few things, um, um, and and I think it goes both ways. I think on the uh, organizational side, we we really need to help our leaders and our managers understand what it means to create a more inclusive environment. Um, Because when you have inclusive leaders, they create an environment where everyone can show up and thrive and bring their whole and best selves, but they also invest in their people and they get a better understanding of who works for them and what their specific needs are to, uh, to, to move forward in the organization, what their desire is around their career goals and aspirations. And so I do think, and then they, they, they offer opportunities to create safe spaces for conversations and they create trust and transparency, which is also necessary 
for me as a woman and for many other women to really show up and, and have sort of that, that, that relationship with their leaders and managers. So notice I'm differentiating between the two, right? Um, so, so I think that's important to, to be thoughtful around and what are organizations doing to upskill and reskill their managers, those that are leading teams of people in their organizations. I think the other thing that we have to do is think about creating that, that path of success and how do people move up the ranks in the organization, right? And so that really happens um, unintentional for others, meaning it happens very naturally for some, and that is through sponsorship. I think it's critically important that we think about creating intentional opportunities around sponsorship and mentorship for women and for ethnically underrepresented talent. I think that's, that's important um, because sponsorship is a key component to making your way from, um, you know, from the entry level to the mid-level leader to the executive ranks and then up and through the C-suite. So that's another area of opportunity. The other thing I, I think is, is really how are you uh, posting your roles and what's your and what do those roles really say so you you know the statistic that you just read but we also know that women feel that they have to have what 95 percent of the qualifications before they apply for a job versus men where it's at more like 50 percent and they'll apply for a job and so really how are your roles written to ensure that um, that people really can see themselves doing that job and feel very confident in, in posting for that. Um, the other thing is, is I think organizations have to think about how do I mitigate bias in those critical moments that matter? And the reason why that's so important is because if I just have unconscious bias training, then that creates awareness, but that does not create a shift in culture or behavior. And so in order to create that shift in behavior, I have to constantly be thinking about disarming um, my bias in those critical moments. So those moments in which I'm hiring, those moments in which I'm onboarding, those moments in which I'm developing, who am I tapping for those expanded opportunities, those special projects, those opportunities for additional exposure and experience. And by, and by tapping those individuals, then I'm creating opportunities for their development. And then that's the pool of talent that I look at for promotion. But if there are people that I leave off that list, then they are not the ones that I'm looking at for promotion. And so we have to be able to mitigate bias in all of those moments. So those are some of the barriers that I see um, that women face, um, but this also those barriers that are there also prevent ethnically underrepresented talent for, from uh, progressing as well. But then on the flip side of that, I do think there is an opportunity to create um, and to disarm um, certain um, ways that people think about themselves. So disarming women and under, underrepresented talent to, to not discount <laughs> their own skills and capabilities, creating opportunities and moments to build confidence 
in these in in and invest in this talent in that way is so critically important. Um, and, and to really think about how do we really upskill talent to really manage their career and what does that really look like in organizations when you're fully managing your career. I remember when I first joined um, um, the bank when I had my first job and man, I tell you what, if I knew <laughs> then what I know now, I, I think I could have been a little bit further along in my, my career. But one of the things that I thought was if I work really hard um, and I show up every day that I would be promoted. Yeah. And I think that's what everybody thinks, right? Because that seems logical. I think also sometimes there is um, a cultural element to it as well. I find that um, I know from people of, of, of color, for, for a lot of black people, they were raised by their parents and that you just need to work hard keep your head down yes. do a good job and you'll reap the rewards and that's right. and so and that's what my mom taught me and that's what my nan yes. taught my mom but i think as time goes goes on and moves forward that it's what you said like sometimes you have to start to try to create the opportunities for yourself you're spot on right so culturally that's how we were raised I was a first generation corporate. I was first generation college. So I didn't have anyone to tell me and sit me down the way that I can sit my son down and teach him the corporate culture. And so it would be that these are the kinds of, of, of uh, opportunities I think companies can offer as they think about those sort of first generation corporates, right, that come into their workspace, helping them to understand the corporate culture, managing your career, what does that really look like? Because if I keep my head down and all I did was work, what I realized when I lifted my head up is that there were people that were being promoted that, yeah, I'm not saying they 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 weren't promoted because they they weren't doing the work. Obviously they were doing the work, but I was doing the work too. So why wasn't I being promoted? And so besides some of the barriers that we've talked about already, I didn't understand that I needed to be promoting myself. I needed to be having conversations and networking and building my brand and getting a mentor and understanding the importance of sponsorship because I just didn't know. And so those are some of the things that I think on both sides that need to happen. There needs to be some learning and honest on the employee side, but also corporately, there has to be some things that change. Um, what has been the biggest challenge you faced in your journey to, to CEO? Yeah, so <laughs> um, there was a point in my career, um, it was a really dark time <laughs> and I, and I, I have, I'm going to be completely transparent here. I had a manager who um, honestly, it felt like I was in an abusive relationship. Oh my. Yeah, it did. It, and what it did to me is it, um, it shook my confidence in my ability. It made me question every decision that I made. 
it also um, emotionally was draining and taxing for me. And it impacted my performance. And I began to question if, if this was the right place for me. If I was good enough to be here and it created all of these sort of questions and it took um, a while for me to bounce back from that, but it also took other people in the organization who saw and who I confided in around my experience to help build me up again to give me the opportunity to perform, to provide the air cover that I needed. So when I made a mistake, I could fail forward and not feel like I was failing. To help me to um, gain my confidence back. And, and, And that was one of the most trying times in my career. And I learned a few lessons. I was going to say thank you so much for sharing. I'm interested like what 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 is your takeaway yeah yeah so my takeaway was number one not to be an island unto myself that there are people out there and this is in every company and every organization that are rooting for you and so you have to find who those people are and that's why mentorship is so critically important You need a sounding board. You need someone you can bounce ideas off of. You could check your thinking against. And you need not isolate yourself. So that's one of the lessons that I learned. I also learned that I I needed to invest more in myself and to... um, start to promote myself and think of myself as a brand and not allow someone to create that brand, but me to take control of that narrative. Um, I also learned that I was going to leave a company on my own terms and not have someone force me out. Because I really felt like that's what this manager was trying to do to me. And I know there are people out there that are experiencing or have experienced something similar. Um, And so I decided, you know what? When I get ready to leave, I'm going to leave because I'm ready to leave. And so at this moment, I need to pick myself up and I need to dust off (laughs) and shake off what I've been through. I need to allow those mentors to help support me through this journey, manage my career, build my brand. And I was able to bounce back from that. Now, I will tell you, it was a hard journey and it wasn't something that happened overnight but it happened because I sit here today as, as well, you know, as a top performer at Bank of America and as the CEO of Paradigm for Parity. 
and not bragging, but just sharing that I, I'm pretty good at what I do. Bright girl, <laughs> you brag away, okay? Come on, kudos to you. Oh my goodness, thank you so much for sharing that, Sandra. Honestly, thank you so much. The courage and the strength um, in your story. And yeah, thank, I can't thank you enough. Like I, I appreciate you and, and yes, you are doing fantastic things and women need to big themselves up more and we need to and like you said we need to lean into those people that are there to to help and that can kind of be the sounding board um and and building your own brand I think to show to the world this is who I am this Mm -hmm. is how great I am um but it it can be difficult let's let's be honest it's hard but um it, it's great to hear that that someone has experienced what you've experienced and, and come out on, on top um well, so thank you that's great um so what do you feel is a key step that organizations need to take to bridge the gender gap and to create equitable and inclusive workplaces like you've touched a bit on it already but I'm interested to, to hear from you what, what do you think is a key thing that, that all organizations definitely hands down need to do? Yeah, so this is something that Paradigm for Parity um, was created for, right? Is to really help organizations to think about how do I achieve gender parity? And we have just added to this with racial equity because we know how critical it is. See, there's one thing to talk about gender parity. And while women have, you know, progress has either stymied or or we've gone backwards a little bit based on some of the studies that you just talked about and organizations that are doing some critical work around the data and analytics piece, um, there have been progress over the years. There has been. And that progress, quite frankly, has been more so for white women than women of color. And so organizations really need to pay attention to that dynamic and think about that intersectionality of women, but also women of color. And so what Paradigm for Parity does is we not only talk about the challenges of of where companies are, but we also provide you with the formula and the strategy of what to do. And so we have a five-point action plan that really helps support you along that journey. And and it's not that, you know, we came up with that action plan, but we really built that based on some uh, women coming together and and big name companies really saying, here's what we feel are the critical ways that companies can make progress in the way that we've been able to do it. So that five-point action plan is not just something on paper, but it's also been done and tested and tried and proven. To, uh, to really enhance um, an organization's opportunity to achieve gender parity and gender parity at every level in the organization. So not only do we have that, but we also have the core tactics to go along with it. So some of the things that companies need to do, we've already talked about unconscious bias. We talked about creating intentional opportunities for sponsorship, but you've also got to measure your progress. And companies need to really understand where they are from a data perspective. What are you pulling? How are you measuring progress 
where are you bringing women into your organization? Where do they currently sit today? And at what level do they sit? What roles do they hold? Where are women in your manager population, right? So are you measuring your manager population? How deep are they from the CEOs? When I talk about level, what, what level are they? How deep are they from the CEO? So you really need to take a step back and think about how you're measuring and then where are your cliffs? right? Where are you having success and where are your cliffs? And for many organizations, they'll, they'll say, hey, we are 50% women or we're 40% women or we're 30% women. But where do those women sit? And so, um, and, and where don't they sit? <laughs> and where do they have leadership roles and where don't they have leadership roles, right? And so I think that's one part of it. But then you have to start to think about what are the targets or goals that you're going to set for your organization. Because if you are not hiring and promoting and retaining at or above where you are today, then you're not going to make progress. That's simple math. You will not make progress. And so if you're not setting targets, aspirational goals for yourself, then what you're going to find is that you're not going to be you're not going to be able to make progress in those areas. What gets measured gets done. I was just on a um, conversation where we had this very conversation. Who goes out, builds a business without a business plan, puts in a business strategy without data and analytics? No one. No one does that. Right. Everybody that works for a company today has goals, business goals. So why wouldn't you do the same? for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, of course. It, it, it makes sense. I mean, when you say it, it, it makes sense, doesn't it? It um, does. But yeah, you just got to do it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You just got to put it to practice. Um, so I want to move on a little bit into to talking about, a bit about well-being before mm -hmm. before you leave us because I'm, I'm conscious of time for you and, and I, I've enjoyed our conversation so much but I, I'm, I'm it's a question that I ask a lot of the leaders um, that I speak with um, and, and they all have their own takes on it due to their own personal kind of experiences and journeys um, we know that kind of well-being plays an important part in creating cultures of belonging and inclusivity in in, in the workplace but for women especially since what's happened with the pandemic there was a lot of challenges that, that we faced, which significantly had a, an impact in our own well-being and the way in which we felt uh, how we belonged and how we felt inclusive about work. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a lot, and the, the, the statistics are showing that a lot of women aren't happy where they are, um, mm. and a lot of them are, are, are leaving where, they, where they're at, either the workplace in general overall, or they're looking to go for a, another employer because they're just kind of simply, they're just burnt out um yes. so how do you avoid the burnout <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> how much time we got in the class <laughs> well uh so listen this, this you know and this is the thing right and it's not just women I, I i hear you you're absolutely right while women are disproportionately impacted but it's all employees people have sat around they said look I'm, we are tired we we have anxiety we are stressed out we no longer want to work for organizations that um, that um, don't care for me personally and professionally and don't provide the right level of benefits and opportunities for me to decompress, right? 
and everybody has their own way of of decompressing or relieving stress or anxiety or the burnout right so for me personally one of the things that i did um, and i learned this from one of our senior leaders at bank of america and this is gonna sound like oh sandra but that's so business oriented um but one thing she said is i put everything on my calendar and I thought to myself, she puts everything on her calendar. And then she went on to say, I even put, when I go get a wax, I put it on my calendar. <laughs> and I thought to myself, blasphemy. How dare you put something personal on a business calendar? And then she, she went on to explain in her mind, there was no such thing as work-life balance. There is work and there is life. And there are times that I'm going to give more to work and there are times I've got to give more to life. So it's never quite balanced. And recently, uh, a friend of mine sent a, a, a talk that Shonda Rhimes did and Shonda talked about, you know, how she's come into her you know, Shonda land and all she's been able to accomplish. But she also talked about this notion around um, when she shows up at work and she is killing it at work, there are things that are missing at home. And when she shows up at home and she's doing things for her daughter, she's at a recital, she's at a sporting event, whatever, then there are things that are deadlines that are being missed at work. And so it goes back to that whole notion that the senior leader I was telling you about was really articulating those years ago. And I started putting that into practice and putting everything on my calendar and integrating work and life. I also have learned the art of giving myself grace. I am not superhuman. I can be the best version of me, but in order for me to, to be that best version of me, there are some things that are non-negotiable. There are times that I have to show up and be there for my son at his lacrosse games, enjoying the moments with him at school, being to his PTA meetings, which are critically important to me and him. There are times I have to show up and be with my husband and be that wife alongside of him and supporting him through whatever he needs. There are times that I have to show up at work and give 125%. And then there are times that I have to steal away and do for me so that I can then be the best mom, wife, worker, sister, daughter, granddaughter, that I can be. And I've learned that I don't have to have a perfect balance, mm -hmm. that it's gonna teeter-totter from time to time. And that's really what's helped me from a stress perspective um, and from an anxiety perspective to keep that mindset that I, if, if, if this doesn't happen, if this doesn't get done, what, what's the worst that's gonna happen? It'll be there tomorrow. 
Now I understand we have to meet deadlines. I get that. So you have to work accordingly to make all of that happen, right? Um, the other thing that was incredibly helpful to me is the book by Ariana Huffington, which was Thrive. It put a really different perspective on the way that I work, the way I leverage my time, you know, where I give my time. Um, so that is a really wonderful um, read for anyone who's looking for a way to really say, how do you make it all work? Um, and so, and so those are just some of the tips that I would share. Great. Thanks so much, Sandra. And thanks again for, for all the great tips and, and insights that you've shared with us today. Um, they've, they've definitely um, been very useful. And, and thank you so much for, for the transparency as well um, and the courage to, to share your, your personal story. How can people connect with you? So paradigmforparity.com. And when you say paradigm for, it's the number four, parity.com. So please reach out or go to our website um, and Google us and learn more about how we support and partner with organizations that help them we reach gender parity with the lens on racial equity. The other thing is I am on LinkedIn. It's the only social media that I use. <laughs> Oh, you, you won't find me tweeting, you won't find me Snapchatting, but you will see me. You won't even find me on Facebook, but you will see me on LinkedIn. And so I am there under Sandra Quince. Um, but that's how folks can find me. And, and, and so we would love to be able to connect with you um, if you have more questions or just want to learn more about Paradigm for Parity. Oh, fantastic. Well, all of the information will be uh, linked under this video, um, under the episode for people to, to stay connected with you and also to learn more about Paradigm for Parity. Thank you so much for, for joining me today and um, I hope you have a fantastic week and I can't wait to talk to you soon. Absolutely. Take care, Natasha. It's been a pleasure.